I suppose if I do that enough times, I'll get used to it, but I can't imagine three steps being a hurdle. But I guess that's what happens when you get old. My name is Jim Ferguson, and it's my privilege to bring the word this morning, and I thank the church for the opportunity to do it. We've been looking over the past months, we've been looking at the Lord Jesus Christ and the minor prophets. Uh, you know, if, if, I had, if I could do anything, do you ever, ever want to go time travel? Well, if I could time travel, I would go to the road to Emmaus. And if I could understand the language, which might be a barrier, but assuming that I could, I would love to hear when he opened the scriptures and explained to them all about him. What an exciting experience that would be. Well, Lord willing, that's what we want to try and do this morning. I've been assigned Zechariah chapter 10 and also Zechariah chapter 9 verses 9 and 10. And um, it's an interesting book. Of course, all the books of the Bible are interesting, but uh, what's fascinating about this book is it's, it's looked toward eschatology. Let me read you a quote by George Robinson. He says, Zechariah is the most messianic, the most apocalyptic, and the most eschatological of all of the writings of the Old Testament. Kenneth Barker says that Zechariah predicted the Lord's first coming in, uh, in his lowliness in chapter 6, his humanity in chapter 6, his rejection and betrayal for 30 pieces of silver in chapter 11, his being struck by the sword of the Lord in chapter 13, his deity in chapter 3 and 13, his priesthood in chapter 6, his kingship in chapter 6, 9, 14, and his... Um, second coming in glory, also in chapter 14, and his building of the temple of the Lord, his reign and his establishing, enduring peace and prosperity. All of that in 14 chapters. The first eight chapters uh, deal with uh, eight um, visions. Uh, and then, of course, the last portion from chapter 9 through chapter 14 is divided into two sermons or two oracles. We're going to look at part of one of those sermons this morning as we deal in chapter 10. But before, I want to take just a minute and I want to do a little bit on prophecy because um, I'm not altogether certain how well we understand prophecy because a good bit of prophecy is actually a history lesson for us. Take the book of Daniel, for example. Almost all of it, it already happened. Uh, theologians call it the already, not yet. A, a good bit of it has already taken place, all of the kingdoms. Now, there's future when he talks about the Lord coming. But um, when you, let me take Isaiah. Supposing, supposing that you lived in the days of Isaiah, and you unrolled the scroll and you read part of it, and you read, say, chapter 9, where it talks about uh, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, 
the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the end of his government, there will be no end. And he will bring peace and prosperity to the earth. And then, supposing you unrolled a little bit further and you came to, to that portion in Isaiah chapter 53, of course, in those days, they didn't have chapters and verse. But anyway, you got to 53, and you read about this guy, part of, even part of chapter 52, where it says, he had no form that we would recognize him. He was acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. Uh, you know, for our, the very fact that he was put on a cross, and we would say, wait a minute, although the cross wasn't mentioned, it's certainly alluded to, we would have thought, well, what's going on? What is he? Is he king or is he a suffering servant? How did we know then, talking about one and the same guy? Well, again, we are looking at the already, not yet. The already took place, certainly on the cross. His life here, the not yet, um, is yet to come. And we're looking forward to that time when he establishes his kingdom. And that's what we want to talk about this morning is that kingdom, the king and his kingdom. So you see, there's a lot of things that we couldn't possibly know unless we had this opportunity to see it. Now I'm going to read chapter 10 uh, because it's, uh, it's part of my assignment and because it's also the word of God. So if you'll follow with me, ask, ask the rain from the Lord. In the season of spring rain, for the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will gather them showers of rain. To everyone the vegetation um, in the field. For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty uh, consolation. Therefore the people wonder like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. And they shall fight because the Lord is with them. And they shall put to shame the rider on horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior. And their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. And though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live in return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them, no more room for them. He shall pass through the sea of 
troubles and strike down the ways of the sea and the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low and the scepter of Egypt shall depart and I will make them strong in the Lord and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. Now I'm certain that all of you fully grasp all of the meaning that's in those 10 verses. And I don't have time this morning to unpack all of them. So I'm gonna do something a little different. Years ago, a guy by the name of, uh, well, the Navigators, good example. The uh, Navigators taught us that, uh, then most all of us had was the King James. And so to understand what it was saying, we were to put it in our own language. And so literally, that's what we, I think that's what Ken Taylor must have did when he put together the, the Living Bible. He must have done all those navigator things and put it all together and called it the Living Bible. Well, I'm gonna do that for chapter 10. Rather than try and go through the whole thing, I'm gonna read it for you again, only this time I'm going to read it in a paraphrase, uh, my own, and it takes no, no godly authority other than it tries to put those verses together in a way that we better understand them. You know, um, there's a story told about a preacher who, after he had preached his morning message, went to the back of the church. And as he was standing there greeting the people, a little boy came to him. And the little boy had his hands out. And he said to the preacher, put your hands out. And so the preacher put his hands out. And the little boy dumped some coins into his hands. And he said, you know, he says, I feel very sorry for you. I robbed my piggy bank. And uh, the preacher said, why? Well, he said, my dad says, you're the poorest preacher he ever knew. (laughs) Now, you see, words can carry different meanings. And so as I go to this in chapter 10, I'm putting it in my words, okay? When they ask you for a blessing, ask them from the Lord. Don't turn to false prophets or to worldly leaders, for they'll just lead you astray. Beside that, the Lord is angry with world leaders, and the Lord is the only one who truly cares for his covenant people. On top of all that, he's willing to make you strong. The Christ will come and provide stability. The Christ will overcome all weapons of war. The Christ will overcome all worldly leaders. The Lord's covenant people will overcome all enemies because the Lord is with them. Their weapons are strong, but we have the Lord. It will be like the infantry is destroying their cavalry. The Lord's covenant people will be one, totally united in him. And the Lord's covenant people will be strong and glad of heart. From the oldest to the youngest, they will all rejoice. Christ, the good shepherd, will call the redeemed, and not one of them will be missing. The Lord will gather them from far and near. The Lord will gather them out of the midst of their enemies. He will gather them out of every obstacle, every inundation, and every stronghold. They will know what it is like to live without sin. 
and to bear the name of the Lord. Now that's chapter 10, but I want to spend the rest of my time on chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, because I think it encapsulates what we've just said and in a very concise way, but I want to add to that what we already know, because there's certain parts that's like the already, then there's certain parts that's the not yet. So what is this king like? Well, let me read chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, what is this king like? What is this glorious king like? Well, you know, it says rejoice and shout. Usually, the only time we ever do that is at some kind of a sports event. But what's beautiful here is Zechariah has just in the already, was talking about, the, about Alexander the Great and what he, the Greece and how, what they were going to do. And, uh, and he's contrasting, I believe, Alexander the Great who rode into town on his great white horse and all of the people cowered in fear. But our king, in the already, will come riding on a donkey, which is a symbol of peace. Now, the Lord Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a big word for that. It's called immutable. What it says is that he never changes. And even though the revelation tells us that he's going to come one day on this great white horse, and he's going to rule and reign forever, but since he never changes, he's that same one who came on that lowly donkey because he's going to come with peace. He's going to come with this great opportunity that's ours. You know, as I was thinking, as I preached this last night, as I got home, I got to thinking, you know, Jim, most of your message was for old people because it's for those of us that are old and getting ready to, you know, we're cramming for finals, getting ready to meet the Lord. And uh, I, I was thinking, I wonder, I wonder if the young people can really enjoy or can understand the fact that some of us old people are really looking forward to that. But you know, that's what it is. What's this king like? It's summed up in these two words in verse 9, righteousness and salvation. The two of those just simply have to go together. Righteousness. Righteousness. Well, as for me, Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I will behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. 
Do you realize what he's saying? Is that we're going to be totally like him. <laughs> Think about that. Think for a minute what it's like to live in this body. You won't live in my body, but in your body without sin. You know, I, I realize I'm a Presbyterian, but can I get excited about that? Can I just simply want to fly out of here to think that I could live in my body without sin? You know, all the other religions of the world, they look at the body as something that's evil, but it's the image of God. And God wants to preserve that. And so he's going to change that body so that it's a body like his body. And in righteousness, we'll behold his face. And, and you know, the other exciting thing to me, I remember, I remember one time I had an audience with uh, the chief of army chaplains, and so off to the Pentagon I went, and uh, our entourage went in to, to spend our 15 minutes with the chief of chaplains. Uh, I did better than that because I knew Blues Baker, who was the chief of Navy chaplains, and I spent a lot of time with him. But nonetheless, you could only spend 15 minutes, and then on top of that, we had to share it with another guy because he was busy. He had a big, I'm not putting him down. He had a tremendous schedule. But you know what? Jesus Christ never changes, remember? But he's also omnipresent. And we are going to be able to be with him as much as we want to, as much as he wants us. Why? <laughs> Isn't it interesting? He can be everywhere with us that we are. He is now. That's the already. But then, then, face to face, then we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Exciting? Wow. The God of the universe who will be with you face to face. And he can tell you all the reasons why what happened to you happened to you. And he can explain them in detail. And you can, I don't think you'll even cry. I think you'll be so excited and so happy to know he loves you in spite of what we did. Then the other word, salvation. Now that comes for us also in the fact um, that it, it's really three phases. We, we just think of salvation as something that happens to us. But think about this. According to the book of Ephesians, he knew us before the foundation of the world. Before there was anything, before there was this church, before there was the city of Annapolis, before there were any planets, he knew you. And he thought, I'm going to die 
for their sins. He knew you and you and you and you and me. Now that's salvation. That's phase one. Phase two is when you found out about it. Phase two is when, oh, you know, maybe it came gradual. I know people that could never give you an exact moment or day or hour. I know people that can tell you down to the second when God caused them to be reborn. But regardless, that's when you became aware of it. That's when you realized you were a sinner and you needed, you needed a savior. And so, in the noumena, you gave yourself to him. And he saved you. You were born again. You became a new creature in Christ. Then there's the third phase. And that's what we're talking about in the not yet. That's when our bodies changed and we go to be with him. And we're there in his presence. And you know, the other thing about that, the king and his kingdom, what would that kingdom be like? Well, you know, what's exciting to me, I got to go to Romania with the group and we went many, many times. It used to be fun to sing, um, the, sing the songs with them. They sang in Romanian, and we didn't understand them. We sang in English, but they were the same tunes. We loved the same God. We were saved by the same Savior. It was all, all the same, but it was so exciting to be with them. Well, now listen. Then, we won't have to worry about not understanding them because the day of Pentecost will be permanent. I'll talk in my language, and they'll understand in theirs, just like on the day of Pentecost. And together we'll join our hearts and our love together as we, like him, worship him with no guile. There'll be... There'll be no need to be politically correct. There'll be no need to fear lawsuits. There'll be no tears. We'll be one with him. Doesn't that make you want to float out of here? Does me. I, I kind of envy Chuck and Rosie. But you know what? That's what's ours in the Lord Jesus. Do you love him? If you don't, then bear in mind that the only way you could love him would be because he loved you first. So let him in. Just open up your heart and let him in. And if you already love him, and you already know him, then realize you can't do anything on your own. I can't preach a message. I can't visit a sick person unless he's with me. Otherwise, I'd be like, Sounding brass. Uh, 
I, I, I thought of a story. Let me share it with you. Billy Graham. You remember Billy Graham? Billy Graham was, was uh, he just, the, the press in Los Angeles when he started, they puffed him up. They, they gave him unbelievable press coverage. And if you remember, if you remember, the crowds were unbelievable. The length of time that he held those crusades in Los Angeles went on and on and on. Well, what most people don't realize is on the East Coast in Boston, Park Street Church, where Harold Lockingay was the pastor, put together an opportunity for Billy Graham to come and speak in Boston. And so with no fanfare, no publication, Billy Graham came and they, they, they rented a, um, a building that would seat 6,000 people and they filled it. And they filled it twice. And then Harold John Hocking Gay, who I always thought was one of the world's greatest preachers, he invited him to speak at Park Street Church that night. And so Sunday night, they filled every possible place they could fill. <laughs> and it was, they turned away thousands of people. And in the, in the, when the service was over, Billy Graham was back in the back room of the church and he was shivering and he invited the two men that were the most responsible, I forget the, first, the second one, but the other one was, was uh, Dr. Ockingay. He invited the two men and he said he had to see them. And they, they got down on their knees and they prayed. And this is what Billy Graham said. Don't let me ever take the glory. If I do, for one minute, Take the glory from God. My lips will be clay. What a God we have. Our Father, we have so much to look forward to. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has the heart of man even begun to imagine what you have in store for those who love you.